Oh, I would like to welcome back author David Green to the Guild podcast. But it's like really like you've never left because you're here, there, and everywhere. We have Easing the Reader we do together and doing some promo stuff for um, Black Haired Press. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you were just recently on Tim's podcast, After Hours, number two. So you're just everywhere. I, was, I also moved into your house as well. Yes, just, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Live in my guest room or the, the, the room of the mother-in-law, as I call it, because that's where my mother-in-law gets to stay. Well, where am I going to go when your mother-in-law comes back? Do I have she's to go? Not, she's, she's not <laughs> coming okay. by. Okay. She, she's actually demanded a house outside that we build her a house. Well, in our yard. Well, yeah, you know, I could always move. Into, I could always move into the attic for a few days. That's that's that. Yeah. Do a real Jane Eyre kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Sneak out and set stuff on fire. Well, you do know I love setting things on fire, so there mm-hmm. is there is that. It's, it seems like a very good arrangement to me. <laughs> yes. You're a real fire starter. Yeah. Like 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 Keith Flint. God bless. Yes. Yes. I just remembered that he died like when I said his name. <laughs> Man, that's so weird. That just like he just pops into my head. That's why I said it. Like when I said his name, he's like, "Oh God, he died this year." It's like, yeah, oh. yeah. That was that seems like so long ago, and yeah. in not a COVID-related death. No, it wasn't, was it? Um, God, that that's such a strange one, wasn't it? It's like he's one of those people that like like um, Keith Richards or someone that you just expect. You don't think that he's going to... Yeah, you think he's going to live forever, but he looks like he's always on the verge of dying. Yeah. That's probably the trick. It kind of keeps your body like more like on edge and aware that it needs to be... <laughs> it needs to work. It's like we could die at any moment. So we really need you to pull that. We really need you to be at the top of your game here. Yeah. It was like I realized a couple of weeks ago or a week ago that the singer from Fountains of Wayne died. Yeah, he died this year as yeah. well, yeah. But he died from COVID. Yeah, he did. Yeah, And that's so crazy. I mean, I remember I saw them live, Fountains of Wayne, in Milwaukee. I've also seen Prodigy live. Yeah, I saw the Prodigy live as well. They see Fountains of, of Wayne live. They didn't really. They weren't really that big in, in in the UK. The only song that kind of really crossed over was was Stacey's Mom, mm-hmm. which I watched that video quite a lot when I was a teenager. Yeah, I'm sure you could identify with uh, the boy in the video, or was it the mom in the video? It was the girl in the video. <laughs> <laughs> the girl, <laughs> Stacy. You identified with Stacy. Stacy, yeah. Now no, they. I like them. They were kind of like a mild version of Weezer. Yeah, they were very like Weezer. Like Weezer, like were uh, of that kind of genre, were the ones that kind of travelled a lot more. I think because mm. they're huge in Japan as well. Um, yeah, Weezer. I think I found I think with Weezer was. I mean, I did really like the first the Blue album, but then I think what is it Pinkerton is the second one. Yeah, I had a rough time with that, and I think. Fountains of Wayne just kind of snuck in there and uh, filled that spot in my life of uh, whimsical tunes. Power, power pop. Power pop. Sugary um, power pop. My favorite kind of power pop um, 
performer would be Brendan Benson, who is one of the raconteurs with Jack White. Mm-hmm. He's really, really good. He's a big, uh, you can see he's got a huge Beatles and, and specifically Paul McCartney influence him. In fact, I've seen him live a couple of times. He does a couple of McCartney covers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you listen to the raconteurs, like you can see what he brings to it because like obviously they have very heavy riffs and such, which comes from Jack White. But they have a lot of um, melody and rhythm, which comes from him because his stuff is very, like it's it's like... It's like Weezer, Fountains of Wayne, but like solo instead oh. of a band. It's really good. He's got quite a few albums out now. Like he, he's, um, he just brought one out recently enough, actually, during the pandemic. And he was doing little live performances oh. from his house. Well, actually, it wasn't even his house. He was, he was, <laughs> he was, on, he was on holiday at a friend's house, which is lucky for him. It was like a beach house. So he was oh. in this beach house. For a few for for a while, and he was just like smoking weed, and playing music for us every day. What a life! What a life! And every day, every day like he did his live stream, like <clears throat> the size of the blunt was getting bigger, <laughs> bigger, and bigger, and bigger every single time it came up. My, I think my favorite my favorite power pop band must be there's uh, a Swedish band called the Merrymakers, and they're very much very Beatles inspired. Beatles, like a mix between like Beatles and and ABBA, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, they produced well, their last album was produced by um, Andy Sturmer, who was uh, the singer and uh, you know writer of um, the band Jellyfish. Mm-hmm. If you remember them, I do. Yeah, I oh, I also love Jellyfish. Uh, who doesn't? Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't. Um, yeah, it's surprised. Like a lot of um, a lot of those kind of bands were very like inspired by the Beatles, the power pop ones, because obviously they the, the melodies and stuff, and it's just like heavier riffs basically mm. that they did. But even like this, the you know, um, people like I'm sure like diehard fans know. But and this obviously ties into what we're going to talk about a little bit now. <laughs> but um, Nirvana or Kurt Cobain was a huge Beatles fan. Yeah. And um, you can even tell in some of their songs, like About a Girl in particular, has a very uh, Beatles-like chord. Um, yeah. Um, and uh, it's, it's basically a power pop song as well. And actually Nevermind, which is like, <clears throat> it's not my favourite album of theirs. My favourite album is In Utero, which is quite a lot heavier and quite a bit darker really as an album. But Nevermind is very power pop in my mind. Yeah, I do like Nevermind better than in utero. Um, but I also like my favorite grunge band was always Stone Temple Pilots. And I think oh, yeah. Nevermind and Stone Temple Pilots have a lot in common. Like Stone mm. Temple Pilots overall catalog is more is closer to Nevermind. But I had a and I think the reason why I don't really care for in utero is why I had a girlfriend at that time when the album came out and she would play it on repeat all the time as she was sleeping, you know, in her bedroom. Hmm. So it was the on the on this on the CD player and she would just put it on repeat and then she'd sleep right through it. What a strange album to go to sleep through. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, well it is, yeah. She did have a couple of albums she did circulate. I think by Talogy or Verse No Verses must have been the Pearl Jam album. That was up. Never that big into Pearl Jam. No, me neither. Not a band for me. I just felt they were a, a huge Led Zeppelin ripoff, and didn't bring anything 
anything new to, to, to it. Like, you know, I, 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 most bands are, <clears throat> most bands are inspired by something else. Like Led Zeppelin are probably my favorite band and they're inspired by, by things as well. Like that's just the way it is, but they did something new and pushed it out a little bit. And you get some, some people that, and, and, and Pearl Jam are probably perfectly good at what they do. And there's loads of people that love them. But for me, it was just, it was just too much like the same thing. And it didn't bring yeah. anything to, to, to me. Like that, that's, that's the way I did. When you talk about like um, Nirvana and grunge there, like my Nirvana probably aren't my favorite grunge band, the Pixies are, but they would be, more like in utero style than Nevermind as well, which is interesting because I do like Stone. It's like that kind of like diagram of scene where things are similar. Like, you know, you can see like, it's like, um, it's like all the bands that kind of like were spawned off Radiohead's success and you can kind of, you can chart where, where like when OK Computer came out and was big and then you had like Muse and Coldplay and all these people just spawned off that one and you can see where they, they began. And then like they came out with Kid A, which was completely different. And then, but that kind of brought out bands like Elbow and all these other people that were really into that one and kind of emulated that at the start. Um, but it's interesting to see like where all that kind of stuff comes from. And yeah, I I, I write to music. Like I, I always listen to some music when I write. Like um, I can't not listen to something because just the tapping of the keyboard just gets to me. I, I have to. I have to listen to something, even if it just melds into the background, it's fine. So I, like, I mean, I listen to like bands and stuff like that, but I'll also listen to, to musical scores. Um, like a, a lot of Dead Man Walking was written to the season one of The Mandalorian. Oh, uh, okay. Um, which was... I would have, um, I would have assumed because I, I, my noir the stories that I write, Usually use um, like the soundtrack to the late well the 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 new Perry Mason, which is very noir, yeah, and even uh, the L.A. noir soundtrack. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. L.A. Confidential's got a great soundtrack to it as well. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite films of all time, and it's I think it's criminally underrated as well. And it's one of those things that you can't really talk about anymore because it's got Kevin Spacey in it. Yeah, well, but I thought you could. I thought he was forgiven. Oh, I don't think he's been forgiven, no. I don't think he's been forgiven. I don't think he'll ever be forgiven, Kevin Spacer. I think he's gone forever. But it's like, it's weird because like he's, um, like he's brilliant in that film as well. Like he's, he's top building it, but he's like, he has the least screen time out of the three yeah. main leads in it. But he's, he's so good in it. And it's one of those ones where it's like, can can you still are you still allowed to like LA Confidential? You know, I listen to actually um, Sunday in the car. I was listening to my Star playlist from Spotify, and the song "The Curtain Falls" from Under the Sea, yeah. where Kevin Spacey plays um, like a lounge singer. He's he plays Bobby Darren, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And I just cranked that bitch out <laughs> sing yeah. my heart out yeah he's great he did all the singing himself as well yeah like, he did like um yeah he's a, he's a great actor but he's a terrible person so it's what it's one of those things isn't it it's like how do you how do you reconcile the two things i suppose it's when it when it, when it first happens and it comes all oh, this stuff comes out what the thing is about kevin spacey everyone knew it about him for years 
it wasn't like a surprise or anything. Everyone knew he was a dodgy fella. (laughs) (laughs) So he was very good at, yeah, yeah. And I think he was very good at dodging the discussion surrounding it. Yeah, he was. It was one of those ones because he had had like people with these kind of power that they had and and money and everything. It was like, I'm not, when he was doing interviews and stuff for probably his PR people, like, you can't ask him about this, you can't ask him about this, he won't answer this and this, 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 this. And that was the way it was. I suppose that's the way they kind of protected themselves. Um, but it's one of those things. It's like there's so many people in history that have done great works mm. that were terrible people. And because the time has passed so much, it's, it's fine to kind of say, well, H.B. Lovecraft was a, a huge, big racist that was into yeah. eugenics. Um, but I like his work and it doesn't really matter if he doesn't make any money out of it anymore or anything no. like that because like and all this kind of stuff. So it's, you know, people can justify it in that way, but like people like Kevin Spacey or even to an extent JK Rowling as well these days, yeah. it's like you have people that are like, I don't want to support them anymore. But you have people that grew up, especially JK Rowling, you have people that grew up writing her work. It was seminal for a, a, an age group. And I suppose they have, they have trouble reconciling the two together. But it's one of those things, it's like, do you just wipe, it's like this thing with, with Kevin Spacey and some other people, do you just wipe everything that they've done away, like the good stuff they've done? Are you not allowed to enjoy it? It's, just, it's a weird one. Um, but anyway, long story <laughs> short, I really like LA Confidential. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, then let's jump in. The reason why you're here is obviously to, I think, is this your second stop on your promotional tour of your debut um, I don't know, it's not really your debut, it's a short story, but it's your debut solo book. Yeah, right? that is true. It's, um, the, uh, it's a novelette is the, is the term for it, and that's in the size. So um, a novelette is something that would be 10K to 20K, I believe, mm-hmm. and then 20K to 40K is a novella, I believe. Although that can change because depends on the genre that you're writing then as well for, for a novel. Uh, but yeah, this is my, my debut uh, standalone, I suppose we can say. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is my second stop on the promotional tour. I did something else there uh, for something that's happening over the weekend. So the weekend of the, what day are we, the, the 22nd, I think it is, the 21st and 22nd, um, this kind of book, weekend online uh, book fair, and we had to we had to record like uh, up to half an hour of like of who we are, mm-hmm. what we do, and then the story that we're, we're basically selling, and read a little bit of it. So I did that. I sent it over to them, recorded it on my laptop. I have a I have a Surface Pro, so I've not really messed with any of the settings since I got it. No. And it, it has it. I thought how will record this? And I was like, well, it has a camera because it's basically like a an, a tablet laptop hybrid so i just recorded off that and uh, like an idiot i didn't check the settings so i, I um recorded it uh, it just came in another half hour i read it i read the thing without actually um fudging my words or anything i was well pleased with myself <laughs> um, saved it and put it onto the google drive and all that i sent it over to her and she was like file is way too big it's 3.1 gigabytes. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I was like, all oh, right, okay. I was like, I'll do it again, but I don't know why it's 
saved such so so big like i just used the the, the camera on, on the laptop so i looked at it and my settings had it to save everything as 1080p at 60 frames yeah, per yeah, second. Yeah. so it was like <laughs> high definition video <laughs> um of this of this thing so like i was like oh so i just changed the settings down to like bog standard like 360 360 um p and it was like the same length video <laughs> a 200 megabyte file <laughs> i mean you can always release the original one as a dvd oh i just deleted it off my laptop i was like i'm not having this on there it's just it's, it's, I'm not, I'm not having i'm not having it i'm never gonna watch it again so um yeah it was um so that was just that was a nice like learning curve to remember to check if you're gonna do any of this sort of stuff to check the settings before before you do something i'm just so used to doing like a video with people or you know what i mean like over zoom or or, or or whatever these days so i don't even think about it so it's the first time where i had to like record myself doing something and send it to someone so i just like hadn't looked into it as much as i should have done so um dead man walking i got the book the other day by the way i haven't told you i haven't taken a picture of it very nice very petite it is petite yeah yeah it is it's a pocketbook size so it's twelve thousand words so um i suppose for the way is like they could they could send it they could do it in like a full-size book in terms of like the, the size like a, a normal one and it'd be 50 pages they'd be very very slim so what they do is so black hair pressed the publisher that is part of their short reads um series i guess um so they make them into pocketbook sizes so it's like a little bit kind of more substantial page count um but yeah so it's a it's a it's a nice little size it's it's a it's a strange one to have on the shelf so I have it like with my kind of box that I have that I'm anthologies that I'm in. It's just like it's leaning against the front of them. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that you probably it would like be those like pixie books that you have for kids. Yeah, you know, yeah, for kids. Yeah. <laughs> be among them. But like you know, short short reads are um they're very kind of big at the moment. Like I'll be doing a sequel to this. I'm going to be starting. I'm kind of plotting it now. Um, I, I know like the the larger arc for the series. I already have that in mind. But the second book, the kind of um, the specifics of the second book. I know. I know. Obviously, from we'll probably talk about it in a, in a little while. But where it ends, obviously, it's moving in a certain direction. So I'm kind of plotting that out here and there while I'm working on a few other things. I'll be writing it next month, but it will be bigger. It's probably going to be, and the next one is probably going to be a short novella. I'd say it's okay. going to be. I'm aiming for about 20,000 words. So the way that I usually write is that I'll set myself a minimum threshold of words to hit. Mm. And then I generally go over that by like 1,000, 2,000 words. N never really that, that, that many, to be honest. So, uh, for example, Dead Man Walking, like I set myself the target of 10,000 words because it was like, well, that's the minimum for, for the mm. series. And it ended up being 12,000 so with this next one, I'll, I'll aim for 20 and it'll probably end up being about 21, 22. Um, yeah. So we're just, I mean, you're, this story, and I remember having, in talking to Natalie Brown, and I think the first discussion we had when you were on the first time, um, we were talking about noir, because you were, I think you were either, no, you were working on Santa Monica. 
men at the time, which is also basically a noir, right? Yeah, I mean, that's more of a straight noir than this one. This one is like, you know, very supernatural urban fantasy as well. I think it would fall under that umbrella. Um, it has bits of horror in it as well. But Santa Monica Man, like, I mean, I'd finished that last time, I suppose. I went back to do like kind of like a revised version of it before it went off to the publisher. Um, but that is a straight, straight noir thriller. It's, um, we talked about Ellie Confidential before. It's very much in that vein. In fact, there's a scene that's like a huge homage to that as well. Yeah towards the end of it because I, I do love that film very very much um so that one would be like straight on and it's weird because like it's it, it, i never kind of thought that i'd write so many detective stuff <laughs> but like you know santa monica man which is out in march that is a detective noir nick collar and sort of dead man walking series that is like he's you know he's a pi um and even the free short story that you get with my newsletter is a, is is a, is, is <laughs> kind of a horror noir as well. So I, I don't know why. Like I, no, but because that's weird. Because that's what I was talking to Natalie Brown about. It's like what well, because she was working on a a full length novel as well, which was going to be noir. And I had just I think about started sending out Face of Fear. Um, which is noir as well. It has noir elements in it. Um, this is kind of weird that you choose to, that one chooses to write noir if it just comes naturally or if it's just like a, I mean, for me, I've read a lot of detective stories and a lot of noir, so it's very close to 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 my to my heart. So I even feel like you kind of understand the genre a lot. I mean, how, what was it? I mean, did it just happen? It wasn't, it was, there was no plan in it. There was, um, so with this one in particular, well, for Santa, for Santa Monica Man, which is a completely different series and everything that is set in the real world and everything like that, that was because I had just this image in my head of something for a long, long time. So mm. I was like, it had to be, it had to be noir and it had to be kind of set in a certain time frame. Um, with the dead, with Dead Man Walking, I can't even remember how I got the idea for it. Like, because it's obviously it's very stylized and it's very there's there's um there's a big it's I'm trying to think of the word is that it it's high concept there's a there's a the, it's, it's a high concept book like it's not just something that can happen anywhere there's like a particular thing about it so the probably the reason that it became so with a concept it could be anyone right it could just be someone mm. who's been mugged it could be someone who had a heart attack and, and and you know it could be a teacher or it could be a, a nurse or a doctor it could be anything really like it doesn't it, and, and it could still explore the world that it's set in but i think the reason why it became a noir was because you want to have a mystery to something right so like and the best way to kind of in my mind the best way to have a mystery is for the main character to be, to learn things as you're learning them as well. So you can't have a main character that knows everything already because that's just boring. Yeah. And it's a bit of a cheat as well because then you're kind of re revealing things piecemeal to the reader. And it's like, if you're in the character's head, then you should pretty much know what they think already. So if you're going to do like a mystery to something, which there is, um, then it can't, noir lends itself very, very well. The other thing as well then is, is um, 
the stakes to the character. Like the 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 story has to have meaning for the character as well. Otherwise, I mean, you can get away with it in series later on. I think like if you're doing noir and detective stories, like the first couple have to be very kind of personal stories, so you get an attachment to the character and then like maybe the third or fourth one you can just do one which is just like a job to the character that still has like a good storyline but it's it's not something that it's just a job to them because you're already invested into the character so obviously with noir you have that kind of that it lends itself very well to um personal stakes a bit of shady business and you have some really good tropes that you can kind of invert so you have like you know the femme fatale mm. um, you have that like, you can have a character that's a bit of a wise ass as well, which is which is nice. <laughs> and, you, and you expect to go to like seedy places and seedy things, which is which is good. Um, so that's that's pretty much where where that came from. Um, well, it's interesting to you know break down the whole noir genre because, as you said, you'd have the femme fatale, which is introduced in 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 noir, and when it comes in the twenties and thirties, um, and then you have like the city itself as yeah. a character which is always which is typical for noir the city itself is in many ways alive it is and that's very you know common in mickey spillane books or dashiell hammett you know those things are very common you know you yeah. love the, you i hate the city you talk about the city as it is as if it's a living thing yeah yeah, yeah, and yeah. the city in itself also reflects the characters in you know their feelings their emotions yeah i think it's one of those things as well like noir is there's elements of noir in a lot of different things and people write it subconsciously sometimes mm. like a western like western tropes pop up in all sorts of stuff like star wars is a western yeah um you know especially the first one and especially the mandalorian the mandalorian doesn't even try and hide it it's a western <laughs> right um so like and it's like it's one of those kind of things and, and it's what it's they both kind of came around around the same time as well in american cinema i mean obviously film noir is a french turn but it, it was popularized in american cinema around the same time as, as the westerns were and it's one of those things that so people our age who grew up probably watching spielberg and lucas films and all this kind of stuff they grew up watching film noirs and westerns yeah and schlocky sci-fi so that all, so when they're doing their stuff that influence comes in that influence is embedded in what they're doing and, and writers as well like you know the writers would be the same people that we grew up reading would be the same they're all kind of generally a bit older people so they would have been watching westerns and, and yeah. film and so it comes into their work so we're influenced by it without even realizing what it is and it's only until you like i i am um, studied film at, at university so one of the so i don't really read a lot of noir i don't really read a lot of detective stuff but i do enjoy the films quite a lot mm. and one of the reasons is is because of the technical aspects of them i love the way they shot i love the way they use light and 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 um backgrounds as well especially the you know every single thing on a screen in a film noir especially the, the classic ones the detail is is very strong and everything counts and so that's kind of where it comes from for me is like, you know, you have that subconscious influence from everything else that you consume. But I've also I studied film noir in particular when I did my degree in film. Um, so it's kind of 
it's very easy for me to kind of fall back on it, I suppose. Like, like I say, like I've, I've, I've ended up writing a lot more <clears throat> in that kind of genre or, or using those kind of things than I thought that I was going to at any point. So, I mean, it is interesting because noir was such a vilified, not movie genre, because I mean, as, as a movie genre, I think there's been eras from the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s on that, you know, has noir tropes. I mean, you can see it, you know, they use it in um, Who Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You can mm -hmm. see it in um, Cast the Deadly, Deadly Spell. Mm -hmm. And even like Perry Mason and stuff like that. So it's always been, I mean, whereas the lit literary form uh, has been vilified in is being too misogynist, mm -hmm. uh, racist, violent. And I mean, that we, we have that basically is the pulp magazine's fault because I mean, I mean if you look at, you know, Dashiell Hammett or, or um, Dickinson, Dickinson Carr, I mean, that those are that's that's high quality literature. But then when Mickey Spillane comes in and you have all these pulp magazines and, and pulp books where it's just basically violence and sexy, voluptuous women and stuff like that, it kind of like yeah. declines. I think it comes back sometime in the 80s and 90s a little bit where you kind of realize that you can do something else with it. You can still use the same tropes. Yeah, well, it's even like, I know, I, so uh, the Dresden Files, I kind of got into those after I finished writing this, I knew about them, and I, but I, and I wanted to read them, and then I was kind of like, I'll read them after I've finished this first book, because I know there's, there's shared ground there. Nick Holleran isn't a magician, or he isn't a magical person or anything like that, so that, that was something that I was very strong about when I was planning this. I didn't want, I always wanted him to be a regular person that had like, you know, an experience, I suppose. Well, I knew about the Dresden Files, and then when I started reading them, they I, I saw that like people, especially the early ones, people were like, "It's misogynistic and all this." Oh, the character is, and he has a very old way of looking at like women and stuff. But that's that is again, it is the it is the the kind of tropes of the genre, and and that's something that I wanted to avoid with with um, yeah. Nick Holler and like it's there is obviously some of those tropes that I kind of nod at, but. He isn't, um, I hope anyway, that when people have been reading it, they, they see him as like, he's not that kind of PI where it's all like Danes and broads. <laughs> and, <laughs> no, uh, and I mean, and even before the Dresden Files even came out, I mean, you have, uh, a lot of people have a lot to thank uh, Laurel K. Hamilton for who wrote the Anita Blake series, uh, which is like, um, Dresden Files, although the world everybody knows of magic and yeah. and vampires and so, and she's like a she's a she's a, an animator, um, which means that she ad, can animate corpses to solve crimes. Mm. Um, they interview and 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 she kills vampires. But I mean, there's a lot. Of, but that one, it's not misogynistic, I guess, because the female is the 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 main character is a female. But it becomes very sexual as the series goes. Kind of like, I mean, I don't know how much of the Anne Rice series you've read or any at all. None. Because yeah, no. Interview with a Vampire is awesome, really, in my opinion. It's, it's good. Talk about the film. Well, we can talk about the film later, but the book is good. I've seen the film. <laughs> <laughs> well, how can you go wrong with Antonio Banderas, Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, and Christian Slater? 
Christian Slater, yeah, he's there as well. And a young Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, well, we can. We don't need to talk about her. It's a very homoerotic film, isn't it? And the book is very homoerotic as well. Yeah. But it becomes more, I mean, I think Anne Rice gets a lot of criticism because her uh, books move more into the realm of eroticism as the series right. goes. And Anita Blake is the same, or the Laurel K. Hamilton series, the Anita Blake as a character is the same. It becomes more sexualized as the series goes on, which I think has to do with vampires, really, because vampires are very sexual creatures. They are, yeah, I suppose they are. Like, and, and I think the thing is as well is that the intention may have been there in the first books and a lot of these, but the, the publishers and editors have asked them to rein it back mm. because you can get away with a lot more when you're established in terms of pushing the envelope and pushing what you want. I know from experience for something that I've got coming out next year that it's not like extreme or anything, but... <laughs> Um, there's like this uh, in language terms, like you know, I, I'm a I'm a coarse northern lad from the north of England. I like a swear word or two, and I was told that particular markets where what I was writing is popular, swearing unless you're Joe Crombie or someone, like it doesn't fly. You have to get rid of it or, or make up <laughs> because it'll turn people off unless you're established. And when you're established, you can get away with it. So that might be the case of it as well. Like, you know, yeah, could be. We, we talk about Wheel of Time on our Wheel of Time podcast and we were talking about in the last episode about how the Eye of the World, the first book, is a lot kind of tamer in terms of sexual content compared to the, the books and the rest of the series until Brandon Sanderson comes in, which it goes back to a kind of tamer way again because of his background. He's a, mm. he's a more, um, he just, and his, his writing itself is very unsexual. Um, and it might have just been like, you know, it was the first of a new series on the, you know, for Robert Jordan and his editors and publishers were probably like, eh, maybe not so much in this first one, just to get people dial, in. Dial back the rape. Yeah, dial, dial back all the, the people um, walking around naked, basically, for entire chunks of chapters and sitting around in sweat tents and all this kind of stuff and what have you. Um, so, like, yeah, I think that might be one of the things where it is, like, and that and that's one of the good things about indie publishing, and especially with, with Black Hair Press, who um, Deadman Walker is with, is that they, they there's very little kind of no-nos. There's just a couple of hard no's, which is something that I wouldn't write about anyway. Um, but other than that, they kind of, like, anything kind of flies. So the, if, if I wanted to write something that was very, very sexual, then in the first book that I'm sure I could have done, but it wasn't something that I, I was really no. interested in. But I think the character's not even in that kind of headspace at the start no. of this story. Like, you know, he's, he's in a kind of on-off relationship, kind of, with a, a woman who he has a very complicated past with, um, which will be explored a little bit more in the second book. Like, basically, it's the woman who kind of Oh, we can talk about it a little bit more if you like. But um, yeah, sure, go ahead. Yeah, so he he's so the start, so the, the beginning of this book, he um, there's a prologue. So he gets he's he's a he's a PI and he get he's tailing someone, someone who's in, involved in organised crime, and um, he basically gets gets shot, he gets shot three times in the chest and left for dead, and he actually dies, and his body, he's a he's a atheist as he claims later on in the book and as he's, as he's dying he actually realizes that heaven is real his body his spirit is going off to heaven 
Um, and as he's kind of going, uh, a woman runs down the alleyway and kind of like holds his blood into his body and kind of calls the paramedics and the paramedics get there and they resuscitate him. So when he, after his operations and recuperation, he realizes that heaven is real, mm. but there isn't a hell beneath earth. Earth is actually hell. So it's heaven and hell and everyone, all the humans are living in, in hell alongside like demons, monsters, ghosts, anything you've kind of read about. They're all there together, but most of the people aren't aware that most of them aren't aware of each other. Like a lot of the ghosts just drift around and they're not aware. The humans aren't aware of them unless they're like Nick or they've got some kind of other kind of like affliction where they can see each other. Although some demons and some ghosts become aware and they can cause kind of problems, which is where a lot of our stories come from. So he, um, so the story then jumps forward five years. So because and you probably want to ask about that in a little while, like why it jumps forward five years. But anyway, it jumps forward five years. And he has this, so the woman who saved him uh, is, uh, is called Rosa. And he has this, it's hinted at that he has this on-off relationship with her. But obviously for him, and it gets explored more in the second book, he has this longing, like he asks himself the question, what do you do with your life when you know that heaven is real? Mm. And what do you do when you know that you've been living in hell for the rest of, for the, for all of your life? Um, and that you have to, live your life in a certain way to get back into heaven and he's kind of so when he sees rosa he's obviously he has a, an attraction to her and he has feelings for her but he also has if it wasn't for you i'd be in heaven right now i'd be mm. away from this place so this is something that when they when they meet and they will meet a bit more in the second they're the only talk by phone call in the first in the first book but they'll be meeting in the second book and it'll be something that's explored where he's kind of got this mixed feeling about where he can't just let go of this like why couldn't you have just let me die yeah you know so so and i mean there are a lot of tropes there that are similar to, to classic noir you have a damaged main character similar mm -hmm. to 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 um oh i forgot what is mickey's playing's uh mike hammer Mike Hammer. <laughs> Mike Hammer is the name of, or or uh, Spade, Samuel Spade. Sammy Spade. Yeah, and all those characters. I mean, they all have damage. And even even um, the main character from from uh, Who Censored Roger Rabbit is uh, is damaged. His um, brother has been Ed, killed Ed by a tune. Ed Valentine. Yeah, Ed Valentine. <laughs> so, so so that way, and also the whole city is like the the the, the city in itself is alive and it haunts him. It's also. Yeah. You know the, the comedy literally literally haunts him like yeah. anywhere he looks even in his office there's a there's a specter in his office that isn't aware of her surroundings uh yet um but she, she's there as like a constant reminder to him and it and it's because he he um says at one point actually she's just part of the furniture now because he's become so used yeah. to it he's been staring at her for five years um but yeah, so like he, there's a bits where he goes outside and like he just like he sees just like the same ghosts just doing the same thing that they've been trapped doing for God knows how long. Um, so like, yeah, the actual city, but it's a new, it's a it's an original city. Like so, obviously, I, I did the Santa Monica Man, which is set in Santa Monica, a real place, and I kind of researched it. I just didn't want to kind of fall into that trap. Like I wanted to set it in the Pacific Northwest because. 
No, no, something that always just fascinated me about that place. It's kind of a weird place in general. And I mean weird in a good way, for people, if anyone lives there. Like, it has so much, like, rich things to draw from. Um, and obviously then as well, like, in terms of um, inspiration, like Twin Peaks. Mm. Like, like, I was like, Alan Wake, a video game, which I loved, is set in the same kind of area as well. I just something about this like tower and pines, pine trees and all that kind of stuff. Just like, I just love the imagery of it. So I wanted to set it around there. So I thought Oregon's a pretty cool place. Like you have that kind of grunge thing, which I, I liked and I wanted to make the character a little bit relatable. Like, so I wanted them to have yeah. like things, like normal things that he enjoyed, but then I didn't want to set it in Portland because it was like, well, I'd, I'd, I'd have to research Portland a little bit. And I just didn't want to do that. Cause I was, no, you I'm, don't want to do that. You want to stay there. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's not, not, but nothing, it's just like, I just spent way too long researching, well, not too long, but it, just, it was a lot of my writing sessions when I was doing the Santa Monica Man were just ended up being like hours of researching um, Santa Monica. So I didn't want to get into that trap again. So I just basically made my own city just outside of Portland. So it shares a lot of the kind, similar kind of things, the broad strokes of it. But it's its own city, which is great because like, it means I can do whatever the hell I want with it. Uh, the hell um, was was not a pun. There it was quite. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would have. I would have probably, um, which I have done. I would have taken the name of a real place, and then just built it out of that, which can can cause issues. Because we were talking about, I think a while back, about how I got criticism from the Racine Histor Historical Society. Uh, for Face of Fear, even though they hadn't read it, that it's yeah. a imagining of Racine in the 50s. And they're yeah, just yeah. like, well, that just means that you didn't do your research. Yeah, but yeah, no, it didn't. It just, it, that's not what it is, because there is research in it. And all yeah. the buildings and everything like that are right. But it's just like there was never a cocaine war no, in Racine no. in the 50s. Yeah. Well, like, you know, I wanted to, I, I thought about that, about calling it just like something that exists already. But I wanted to call it Haven because of the kind of play on it because it's not a haven like no. it's hell you know <laughs> and obviously for for nick as well even before he had his experience and, and his second life as he calls it and sees there is hell it wasn't a nice place for him to live anyway i mean he's from portland originally and he moved to haven for reasons we may find out in the future um and even then his, his existence wasn't haven like at all but i actually wanted to call it new haven and i sort of searched for it and there's a new haven in maine i think it yeah, is yeah. and like well if people read it and they know about new haven they'll just look at it and be like well isn't new haven in maine so i just was like i just call it haven haven city so that's that's fine that's fair enough i'll leave it as that <laughs> so why does it um why the five-year gap then well that is um a couple of reasons one is uh a big influence from John Wick. Um, I love the John Wick films. I think they're great. And the, and the thing that kind of grabbed me about them, especially the first one, was that there was this lived-in world straight away. Mm -hmm. So when, when John Wick becomes active again, and he's kind of, even when he's talking to, he talk, the, the first bit is like when he talks to like John Leguizamo's uh, son, uh, John Leguizamo's character on the phone, and John Leguizamo's like, oh, hey, John. And, and then, like, you know, oh, actually, it's before that. It's when, um, it's when the guy who kills his dog brings his car into the, into the garage, and he's like, 
whose car is this? And he's like, oh, some fella called John Wick. And like John Luisiano hits him. And he's like, do you realize who this person is? So it's like, it's this lived in world where like all these people have met each other already and they have this history already. And it's like, and it was a, it's kind of a cheat, I suppose, but it's good because it's, it means that we've got this tapestry that you can already build from. And the other reason was that because it's a high concept, there's a lot of, it's only a short read, like it's only 12K words. So you, you have to be very kind of economical with, with what you're doing and the concepts that you want to try and get across. So I didn't want to have like Nick getting shot, waking up in hospital, seeing all this stuff, having to figure out all this yeah. stuff and everything. So I thought if I just skip forward five years, so he's kind of got used to this world, then he can be the one that's kind of through his eyes he's teaching us through his actions and everything about what this world, how it works and mm. how he's interacting with people. Um, so that was the main reason really. The other thing as well, then it gave me some leg room where I can do prequels if I want yeah. to. And that's always, yeah, because otherwise it'll be like, yeah, our, uh, our IPD where half of the movie is about getting used to being dead. And those, those yeah, exactly, exactly. And that, that's the thing that when I started reading Dresden, I was like, oh no, he's done the same thing pretty much like he starts. Like he's been a he's been a practicing wizard like for a while already. Like and I was like, oh, he's done the exact same thing. But I was like, sod it, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Who's gonna know? It happens. Um but like uh, yeah, so that that was the reason. And I think it's yeah, it is that kind of thing. You, you, your exposition is important and we talk about it on our Wheel of Time podcast and how how it's changed in in tastes like you could have like if i wrote this if i was older and i wrote this in the 80s or 90s i p could probably get away with just like having chapters of exposition explaining how everything works but that doesn't fly anymore you have to do it in a more organic kind of way but i think that is, isn't that the the isn't that part of a trope in noir i'm kind of thinking back to to all the noir that i've read and i think that is i mean i think you meet like say Sam Spade, for instance, in in uh, the Maltese Falcon, because that's he's the main character there, right? He's a detective. Yeah, guy. there's no there's no origin story. No, he's just he yeah. just like shows up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With that, his with his jaw, set jaw, and whatever. <laughs> yeah, but that's actually like that was subconscious. To be honest with you, that wasn't something that I was like doing as a. Um, as a trope to, to kind of play on it that's just a subconscious thing and it's probably just from that but like, you're right like when you when you think about it there's there is no origin stories really in, in noir for the main characters you, you learn about them through the people around them because mm, i i read warren ellis the the comic book author wrote a couple of noir stories um Revolver, I think one of them is called, which is really good, actually. Uh, and then I can't remember what the first one is called, but that's the same. I mean, it's because I mean, obviously it has to be because we're the story is told from the perspective of the main character. The he's the narrator, mm -hmm. and to, to as opposed to like say a um, like Sherlock Holmes or even like an H.P. Lovecraft story, the character isn't journaling the story. 
you know, like in Lovecraft would always, often in, in the beginning of Dagon, he says like, this is why I'm writing the story. Yeah, always. <laughs> yeah, so this is why I'm writing this story. You may think that I'm mad, but I'm not mad. You may remember the newspapers around this time. Yeah, exactly. And so Conan Doyle does it in the Carrasco tragedy, which is just like, some of my readers might remember that the great uh, train tragedy in Carrasco 10 years ago. Yeah. Well, this is the true events, and I've done a bunch of research. But in a noir, you never do that. You know, Mike Hammer never talks about that he's actively writing. He doesn't, he doesn't break any, he doesn't break the fourth wall. He doesn't no. direct his, his conversation to a, a reader. He's, it's just like it's his thought. And because of that, I don't think, then you don't need background. No, because like, you know, why would he sit and talk, think about that? Yeah, this is how I became a drunk detective. Yeah, exactly. Like with, with, um, with Dead Man Walking, it's written first person present tense. So you're learning all the information as Nick is. But then he might do like an aside in his own thoughts, like mm -hmm. when something happens, like which is, which is natural, like it's part of the storytelling. But it's all like informed as to what's going on at, at that time. Um, in the story which is a good I, I enjoy writing in that way actually I, I don't mind like I know a lot of people uh, there's a lot of writers that I know that are only like writing in a certain style I'll just say they always I struggle writing this style this style but I, I tend to depending on what it is I'll, I'll change um, the POV and, and the tense but with this one I think it works yeah. being first person and, and present because it's um, again a lot of noir stuff is and and it's because it keeps the pace quick as well. Yeah, like, you know, it's always, it's always moving forwards, um, which is which is good. Yeah, I, and that's all. I mean, that is where the the term. Because I mean, I remember when we talked about noir for the first time in in lit class at at university. Um, our teacher said that it's you know, usually it was the the style is thriller. The the genre is noir or hard-boiled detective story but it's called thriller because it's told in chronological order to keep the pace quick yeah as of because that's because we're always just like oh thriller isn't that basically the same as a suspense or horror stories as i know thriller the actual term thriller just means story told in a chronological order yeah yeah and that's obviously what happens when you write noir because the character is unless he does say self-reflecting it's still always in the present yeah like he's, he's finding it's a mystery so he's finding stuff out like if he already knows the answers then it's not particularly thrilling <laughs> exactly yeah. Um, yeah and i think we're we're uh, running out of time for this uh show um what is the next step and then i mean what is what's um, so it's released yeah, everywhere Anywhere so, you get your books. Yeah. Anywhere you get your books, so Amazon, Book Depository. I think it's on Waterstones website in the UK as well. Yeah. Pocket um, book and ebook. Um, in terms of the next steps, well, um, it's do it's doing well. Like it's been it's been reviewed really well on Amazon and Goodreads. It's um, it sold well. It got into the top fifty on on Amazon, um, which is great. Uh, Amazon.com, the American one, um, which is really really good. Um, this is you know it's it's a great. Uh, something I should really 
kind of be proud about. But I just can't. <laughs> you should, you should uh, get oh. yourself an e certificate. <laughs> I just <laughs> was like, oh, that's nice. Um, I don't really like. I'm, I really, I really just like. I suppose I'm a bit like Nick in that kind of way. Like I just move forward quite a lot. But then I just dwell. I do dwell on things, but not the things that I should really dwell on. I don't. I don't self congratulate myself very much. It's like someone said to me, like they're like, "Oh, do you just keep looking at your book with your own name on it?" And I was like, "No, <laughs> like, I, I should do. I know I should." Every so often it pops into my head. I'm like, I should really just take the time just to look at this thing and just be like, "Wow," but I, I don't. Um, I, think as an, I think as an indie writer, I think that's difficult to do. Because as an indie writer, you're really only as relevant as your latest book. And I think that's why indie writers probably put out like maybe two or three books. Mm -hmm. And that a lot of people, like I know from my publishing, um, well, my publisher, there are people that there that have in the last eight months published three books from scratch, you know. Uh, after the f first book got accepted, which they probably worked on a long time, and then they put up like two in quick succession. And I think it's important for us to step back and like enjoy yeah, the I fact think that so. we published. Yeah, I think so. And I think people as well, it's the, you can send out too much sometimes. You have to, people don't want to just read all your stuff all the time. No. <laughs> Um, and see all this different stuff so that you have to really kind of um, pace yourself and, and kind of give them one so yeah so this one's doing well um so the second one as i said before is is in the planning stages like there's, a, there's an overall arc for the entire series mm. i had figured out from when i first started writing it um because obviously this goes into very kind of it's supernatural and paranormal but like literally like the way that i've made the world anything could come into this mm. so, because nick at one point says if you've read about it in a bible or you've read about it in a storybook it exists yeah. because this is where we've got the things from so i could bring in lovecraftian creatures if i wanted to i could bring in arthurian legends if i wanted to i could bring in all sorts of stuff but the main thing is going to be the, the main question of the series is why is it, heaven and hell and there's no yeah. in between um what is the story with this and why is it this way and you get a little bit of a hint of it at the end um but that's that's going to be kind of explaining it and obviously there's a there's a there's a cliffhanger at the end as well which is going to be uh kind of the, the main drive for the second story as well as a few other things so the, the second one is going to be called nick Holleran, the devil walks in blood that's the name of the title. Mm. Um, and it's going to be, it's going to go to some very dark places compared to the first one. I mean, the first one's quite dark anyway, because it, it deals with um, spousal abuse in quite a big way. Um, it deals with um, torture, um, mental and physical torture. Um, just like, you know, a husband who was just a very, very bad bloke and what, what they've done to someone that's kind of pushed them over the edge. Um, so that, I mean, the first one's dark enough, but the second one's going to go into some very, very dark places because there's, there's a character in the first one that I mentioned before, the girl in the, in the room who isn't aware. Well, by the end of the book, she's aware and she has a task, a job for Nick Collar and she wants to find her murderer. And um, obviously when it comes to, to kind of child murder, it's always going to be a kind of a dark 
um, kind of thing. But I want to tie it into the overall kind of yeah. story of the series, so which is quite biblical in a lot of ways. So um, yeah, it's going to go into some quite dark places. But because of that, there's going to be more opportunity for a bit of humour as well. I think there is a bit of humour anyway in this one. But like obviously, if the, I think the darker that you go, sometimes the more like the the, the kind of you don't have to put more humour into it, but it need, the humour needs to hit a little bit harder as well yeah. to kind of alleviate it. So there's going to be a little bit of um, of that. Um, yeah, and it's going to be a bigger book. Um, I'm going to start working on it properly in December, and hopefully it'll be out some point in the first quarter of next year, like it may. So you'll have two books coming out in. In that area, then, because you have Santa Monica Man coming out in March. Yeah. And then the second one coming out. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I mean, they're all different, so we'll have to see how it all goes. But, like, yeah, it's, it's um, you know, it's not the last we've, we've, we've seen of Nick. And if you enjoyed the first one, then the second one is going to go into is going to go into a lot of the aspects a lot deeper. There's going to be a lot more kind of revelations about how things work. Um, there's going to be a bit more kind of, you know, we're going to delve into Nick himself a little bit more and his relationship with other people. And uh, yeah, we're going to see a little bit more of Haven and the way like people go about their, their normal kind of way of life, ob- oblivious to what's around them. Um, and, and though we will be meeting some more people that know what's going on, because obviously Nick loses a couple of his allies in, in the first book yeah. that he's he's been uh with so he, he needs to kind of find someone who's going to help him navigate the world that he's in cool and as i said you can find the book on amazon well anywhere you get books as we always said no matter apparently which uh, country you're in you can get it get it here everywhere. Yeah. everywhere you can't you can't not find it to be <laughs> Yeah. And if people want to follow you, um, the best place to follow me really is my website um, because there's a, a sign up for my newsletter, which is actually the best place. So um, the newsletter is um, you get a free short story for signing up, which is called The Devils of Jersey. Um, and then I send out a new email probably every three weeks. It's not very often, it's not like inundated with, with, with crap. Um, but with every Email there's like links to short stories from other authors or full novels actually that you can download for free as well as like news giveaways um, exclusive stories from myself as well so the best the place to find that is if you just go to davidgreenwriter.com um, and there is a sign up button just at the top of the page to get the newsletter and that would be great and if you do sign up and you read the Devils of Jersey or you do read Dead Man Walking, I would love to hear from you. That'd be great. Mm-hmm. Leave a review, uh, or star rating, share it, tweet it out, Facebook it out, kick it out, whatever social media you use. Yeah, only if it's good. <laughs> <laughs> that is an interesting aspect, though, because, I mean, I get uh, books from writers, from indie writers, and they say, like, can you leave a review if it's positive? And I'm kind of like, you know what, I, and I've done other reviews as well for NetGalley and stuff like that. And I find that for my sake, I'd rather leave a fair and honest review 
Yeah, I'll, I'm I, not going to give you a one star rating because I don't think that there are certain aspects where people deserve a one star rating, but I have not come across anything of that be- yet. Yeah, one star ratings are just kind of odd. Um, no, like honest reviews are best because it's the only way that you're going to kind of, um, you know, if you get a three star review for something and it says they enjoyed some aspects and some aspects weren't so good, you can look at those and try and improve them. Like if you agree with them, if it's only one person that says that, then maybe it's just that, that one person. But if that thing keeps on popping up, then that's yeah. something that you have to work on. And the only way you're going to work on that is to, is to, um, is to be honest. So yeah, yeah. And it's the same. Like, I mean, you could have like one thing that I, an aspect that I don't in, enjoy and I give it a three star rating and I say like, I mean, I didn't enjoy this aspect. That might be an aspect that somebody else enjoys. So, I mean, yeah. the review being honest, not being too critical, not deriding anything, just kind of saying, you know, this is what it is. And I personally kind of like didn't find it worked. Some people might see that aspect and say like, well, I, I like that kind of storytelling. So maybe this is a book for me and they'll go read it and they'll leave their own review, which is, might be better than the one you gave. Yeah, exactly. So honest, honest reviews. But honest reviews. Yeah. Don't do one star reviews. <laughs> <laughs> two stars <laughs> minimum two star minimum yeah it's like what well, sometimes like you see them on amazon sometimes it's like um someone's like worked on something for ages and then you see like amazon may have been late posting it and the person actually and, the, and they've given it a one star rating and they've said like this came late <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> well that's this, not nice <laughs> this cover was horrible yeah. yeah 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 so no well, David, we put all that information in the show notes. And thank you for coming on, coming back and talking. And I'm sure I've already been in contact with your Santa Monica man publisher. They want to do a, a promo for that one too, once we get to that point. So yeah, <laughs> I have that to look forward to. Yeah, I'll have to read that one again so at some point so I can, so I can actually talk about it. <laughs> well you have a good day and thanks for coming on yeah cheers thanks for having me